Please take your Bibles and go to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians 2, we're going to do uh, verses 11 through 21 this morning. Galatians 2, uh, page 148 in that black Bible in the chair in front of you. 148 in that black Bible in the chair in front of you. Galatians 2, 11 through 21. Pardon me for my nose. Uh, I just think that smoke is really just bothering me. Is it bothering you too? Man, that was just really horrendous. Yesterday was bad. This morning was bad too. Um, Galatians chapter 2. We're going to finish the chapter, verse 11 through 21. Let me read. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. There's no filter with Paul, you know what I mean? For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew and held himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, in the presence of all, if you being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how do you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, when we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May never be. For if I rebuild what I have destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I die to the law, that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness is through the law, then Christ died needlessly. The year was 1215. A group of barons from England came together to defy King John because of higher taxes, unsuccessful wars, and conflict with the Pope. And they forced King John to agree and sign a document which is later known as the Magna Carta. This charter required King John of England to proclaim certain liberties and accept that his will was not arbitrary. For example, by explicitly accepting that no free men, in the sense of non-serf, could be punished except through the law of the land, a right which, still, which is still in existence today. It is, as one person said, quote, the greatest constitutional document of all times, the foundation of the freedom 
of the individual against the arbitrary authority of the despot. And when you look at Galatians, the book of Galatians, Galatians is the Magna Carta of the Christian faith. Because it continues to remind us as God's word about this important truth that, that around which the, the church will stand or fall. It's what, what is it, R.C. Sproul said that, even Luther said that. So that's why as we come to this part in Galatians, live in gospel freedom, we'll see that this news is vital. This news is significant. This news is so important. This news about gospel freedom is vital. Just talking with someone, an ex-Roman Catholic on Friday, talked to him about how there's no grace in the Roman Catholic Church. There's no grace. It's God's, he's ready to get you, right? He's gonna get you. There's no grace. There's no talk about the sufficiency of the death of Christ and how you can come into the throne of grace with freedom, nothing. This great truth, this news is vital, the news that we're justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So live in gospel freedom. This news is vital. It's of utmost importance. We must get this right. Upon this truth we stand. Upon this truth the church will stand or fall. That's the reason why Paul took the time to explain it. Took the time to reiterate this and to show why this news is so vital. And that's really the first point. This news of justification is vital. I actually should say to verse 18, 2.15 to 18. This news of justification is vital. This is one of the three main tenets of Christianity that must be upheld. Justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. <clears throat> Who Jesus is, the God-man, fully God, fully man, and the Bible, it is totally sufficient. Those 66 books, you don't need anything else. So this is one of the main tenets of Christianity. One of the three pillars. If that pillar goes, all the other two go. And Christianity falls. So this news of justification is vital. We must maintain the vital significance and importance of the gospel else the church will fail and fall. Look at how he says, and we're starting later on in in what Paul is writing here to the Galatian churches in verse 15. He says, we are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. What does he mean by that? Jews aren't sinners, just Gentiles? No, 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 that's not what he means. He means this. They are Jews by birth, possessing great remarkable privileges. If you see someone who is Israeli, realize by birth they possess great remarkable privileges. 
they were not, according to the current Jewish concept there in the first century, Gentile sinners. Gentile sinners who had no privileges at all. Gentiles are separated. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2. Remember that form of you, the Gentiles in the flesh. Chapter 2, verse 11. And he says, verse 12, you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Gentiles, this is, they, were, they were separated from God, without God. Jews possess great privileges, remarkable privileges. And that's what he means here in chapter 2, verse 15 of Galatians. And yet notice he says, verse 16, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. They knew, or at least they should have known, they knew that no privilege earns merit before God. They acknowledge that the Jewish law was unable to bring them to right standing with God. They should have known that. So both Gentiles and Jews are sinners needing God's grace extended to them. And he says here, not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Justified curse for the first time right here, three times in this part. And justified is, is a legal forensic term that, that was borrowed from the courts. No one can be justified by the works of the law, but only through faith in Christ Jesus. That's the only way. Justification is a gracious act, gracious act of God by which sinners are declared judicially righteous in God's sight on the basis of the person and work of Jesus. That's what it means to be justified. That's what it means to be made right with God. You're credited with God's righteousness in Christ. You're reckoned as righteous. A gracious act of God whereby he declares a sinner just based solely on Christ's personhood and accomplish mediatorial, mediatorial substitution work of Jesus. A person embraces Jesus, trusting Jesus. So justification is a forensic act. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. So our guilt is imputed to Jesus and God's righteousness is imputed to the sinner in Christ, says Paul, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made him and knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus, in Christ, in him. And he says here, uh, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we who have believed in Christ Jesus We've believed into Christ Jesus, thus justified by faith, through faith, and not by the works of the law. The law brings wrath, but justification answers that wrath by imputing to the sinner God's righteousness. What are the works of the law? 
But he says here, uh, and not by the works of the law. What, what, what are those? Moralistic works performed in, performed in hope that, that God uh, would accept me. But God accepts sinners on the basis, does not accept sinners on the basis of their own merits. If he did, there wouldn't be grace. But those works, these works of the law include food laws, circumcision, Sabbath keeping, rigorous asceticism, physical torture, sacrifice to appease a deity, you're praying to angels, praying to saints, going to mass, excuse me, humanitarianism, political zeal, being a good person, you're a churchgoer, blah, 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 blah. Do we try to add these things and other things as merits before God. What do you add? What do I add? To try and gain God's approval towards salvation. What do you add? And the reformers, they saw this vividly. This works righteousness system. And rediscovered the truth of the gospel. Same for us today. We can allow whatever to distract us from this, from the truth of this vital news works of the law do not equal faith in Christ Jesus faith trusting in Christ not works is the alone instrument by which justification is received justification is mediated through the means of faith it's like the channel how does, how does the water flow it's through that channel how does justification comes it's through that channel this cannot be earned by merit. It's accepted as a gift by faith, which, by the way, faith is a gift too. And Jesus is the content or object of that faith. Faith is not the basis or the ground of justification, but the means by which we're justified. Uh, look at what he says, the next part of verse 16, or excuse me, the last part of verse 16, since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. No one can be declared righteous by the works of the law. We have an alien righteousness. We need an alien righteousness. Whether you're a Gentile or a Jew, it doesn't matter. And then look at what he says here. Verse 17. But if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners... Is Christ in a minister of sin? May never be. So what's he saying here? It seems that Paul said if, if works of the law are unnecessary for justification, does this mean that Christ encourages you to sin? Go ahead, keep sinning. That's great. In other words, does this bring antinomianism? There's no law. Do whatever you want. His opponent said that's what he was doing. His opponent said he encouraged sinful living. And Paul's saying, are we preaching this? May it never be, no way. Dude, no way. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, but the faith that saves is not alone. Good works do not justify us, 
but no truly justified person wants to be without those works. And then this is what he says. For, here, here, let me give you the reason, verse 18, for, if I rebuild what I have destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. What does he mean by this? The basis, he doesn't preach that, you could go do whatever you want, Christ encourages you to sin, is this. If one retraces their steps back to works and away from faith, replacing the gospel with law, or, or one substitutes righteousness by faith for righteousness that's obtained by obedience, what does that one find when you return to the law? Well, that, that, that person will find that they cannot keep the law to be justified. Therefore, sins multiplies. In other words, it's the opposite. He says, if you don't embrace this vital news of the truth of the gospel, that will make you an antinomian. That will make you to go sin. That will encourage you to sin. That will multiply sin. Not the other way around. And the law condemns. So this speaks about the temptation to revert back to our old ways of works, righteousness. We just we, we have that tendency. We have that tendency. We're going to see that in a moment. To forsake the mighty work of Christ and, and embrace our own worthless merits to try to appease a holy God. Paul is warning the Galatians, don't go back. Live in this gospel freedom. So, this news is vital. He's going to give two reasons now. Why is it so vital? Why is it so important? First, because death with Jesus ends self-enthronement. Death with Jesus ends self-enthronement. Look at what he says here in verse 19. This is verse 19 through 21. Did I put that there? Oh, I didn't put, sorry. 19 through 21. For through the law, I died to the law that I might live to God. For, in more cause to what he says in verse 17 and 18, I died, the law, through the law, I died to the law. The law cannot justify you. The law cannot give you life. It loses its power through the death of Jesus who bore the law's curse. Uh, verse 13 of chapter 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. The law loses its power through Jesus' death. Who bore the curse of the law? Christ's death thoroughly satisfied the just demands of the law placed on you as a sinner. So the just penalty for sin, Jesus bore for us. The law leads us to faith in Christ because of its ministry of of restriction and its ministry of condemnation. So since Christ died, and then we die in him, this releases us from the curse, releases us from the power of the law, releases us from the power of sin. Jesus died as my representative. So then the father's condemnation of his son on the cross in our stead 
condemn the condemnation of the law. Jesus died as my representative. And since he died as my rep, I too have died. You have died. And that's why he says, for through the law, I died through the law in order that I might live to God. It happens because of union with Christ crucified. The Father's condemnation of the Son on the cross in our stead condemn the condemnation of the law so now instead of living for myself I now live as God wants me to live the law killed Christ and those joined to Christ by faith Well, so he says let me put it another way verse 20 I've been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. What Jesus completed when he died for sinners on the cross continues to have vital significance for Paul and really for all of us. Through the work of Jesus, we die to the law. I've been crucified with Christ to the old way of life based on human merit and good works as well as to the law's condemning power. And his death brings new life. And my death, this death, brings new life. Because he says, it's no longer longer I who live. Self-righteous, self-centered Paul died. Self-righteous, self-centered Jim died. Put your name in there. Self-righteous, self-centered died. So death with Jesus ends self-enthronement. We yielded the throne of our lives to Jesus. So I, I no longer live for myself. Notice what he says. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. The old you, the old me, under the condemnation of God's wrath, it's gone. Jesus lives in me. My life is completely redirected, transformed by this vital news. And this self-enthronement, it's died. And now there's a new me. The life I now live, there's not a loss of personal identity. It's not some mystical new age mythology of Christ, no. We live, but it's a new life in Jesus. A new life lived by faith in the Son of God. Faith releases God's power to live this Christian life, this no longer live for myself life. It's a no longer live for myself life. That's why this news is so vital. Because Jesus' death ends self-enthronement. And then look at what he says about Jesus. Who loved me and delivered himself up for me. The shame, the condemnation, the scourging, the crown of thorns, the mockery, 
crucifixion, the cup of wrath from the Father, his death, his burial. That's why we sing, what love, my God. What love, my God, who brought you down to earth. All of this, he loved me and he gave himself up for me. He delivered himself up for me. So faith in Jesus is founded upon his atonement, his self-sacrifice for his people, his love for me, and his deliverance for me. I'm, I'm free to live under the authority of Jesus, under the direction of Jesus. Jesus is the sole object of our faith, and our Christian living is based on his work. And now Jesus dwells those who by faith trust in him, for lo- alone for salvation. This is significant news. This is vital news. And then look at what he says in verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God. In other words, Paul says, I don't invalidate or I don't set aside or I don't reject God's grace. It's my opponents. They're the ones who are rejecting grace. For if righteousness is through the law, then Christ died needlessly. If righteousness is achieved, if you can have a right standing with God by keeping the works of the law, then Jesus died for nada, for nothing. If there's anything that we can do to contribute to our justification except our sin, before a holy God, then why in the world would Jesus die? As the song says, hold on, tell me what the cross was for. That's a big mistake. No, in Christ, we trust him completely. Based upon his blood, upon the cross, God's righteousness is imputed, credited to us through the means of faith alone. So we base all our hope on him for eternity. Jesus, save me. You're my only hope. It's the only way. So this news is vital. Why? Because his death, it ends any type of self-enthronement. Here's a second reason. Why else is it so vital? Because of our tendency Tendency to what? Our tendency to be judgmental of ourselves, of each other, and then add to the gospel. That's our tendency. I mean, how can we act judgmentally on our brothers and sisters in Christ and exclude them from the table of fellowship when God has accepted them? But that's our tendency. We start judging ourselves based upon our own standard. We start judging others based upon our own standard. And then we end up adding to the gospel. This takes us to the beginning of our passage, chapter 2, verse 11. Look at what he says. And, and, and remember, Cephas was a pillar. 
We just said he was a pillar. But when Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Now, do you remember, there's no, no, no filter with Paul because he stood condemned for prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. No, let's stop there. So why Peter came to Antioch or, or, or when he came, we don't know. But certain men from James came. Now, now, were these guys James's emissaries or did they simply use James's name to emphasize their point? It's, it's doubtful that James actually endorsed these guys. Maybe they said, oh, we came in the name of James. And then James like, nah, nah, I don't think so. Well, we don't know the details, but, but one thing we do know Peter started to withdraw fellowship, which was, was a reversal of his former practice and contrary to his convictions regarding the Gentiles. And Paul says, I oppose him to the face. Paul didn't back down when it came to the gospel. And since Peter did this thing publicly, Paul was going to deal with it publicly, face to face. When it came to the gospel, Paul was like a lion. Wow, oh, strike. Because prior to this, he says, uh, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, verse 12, he withdrew and held himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. Peter would have glorious, glorious, sweet table fellowship with the Gentiles, Gentile brothers and sisters. Maybe these meals refer to the fellowship meal of the early Christians, the love feast. Uh, Lord's Supper was culminating these meals. You know, we don't know. A consequence of Jesus' work is table fellowship between Jews and Gentiles. For Jewish Christians, fellowship with Gentile believers was a result of the gospel of grace. Such a beautiful picture of unity between Jews and Gentiles in Christ. When they came... He withdrew and held himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. They adhered to the law, these guys, strictly with his dietary and cleansing laws. A Christian Jew sitting down to eat with a Gentile could possibly be in danger from other Jews of violating food laws. There were rules for clean and unclean things to eat with man-made restrictions and stipulations handed down through the ages, Pharisaic regulations, more holocaust, tradition of the elders. But Jesus fulfilled the laws of the Old Testament. These laws were given because God would dwell with his people and they needed to be holy. It showed his holiness. Jesus fulfilled all these laws and regulations so we can have a dwelling with God, our dwelling with God. That's God's gracious love. So these men who came from Judea, they didn't have to deal with a strong Gentile presence each day. They would be secluded. But then they came to Anna. Whoa, whoa, what's with all these Gentiles? What's going on here? And so he withdrew. He felt the pressure either directly or indirectly by these others. He went from open fellowship with Gentiles to distancing himself from them and finally separate himself from them. And these verbs, they denote a gradual process, a gradual process that took place. Said they had table fellowship in the beginning, 
slowly began to die down. This withdrawal suggested that the Gentiles could not be fully God's people. They had, were forced to be Jews. Maybe they were withholding the Lord's Supper from them. We don't know, but no, no, Peter was fearing the party of the circumcision. What's his motive? Fear. He was scared. Fear of criticism. Declining prestige. By Peter doing this, he taught there were two bodies of Christ. Jews and Gentiles. Or, well, he should have known better. He should have known better. Acts chapter 10. Remember the sheet vision? Do you remember that? Look at verse 13. And the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. Other Jewish Christians, even Barnabas, was carried away by Peter's hypocrisy. They did it against their own consciences. It was hypocritical. While confessing, even teaching they were one in Christ with Gentiles, they were denying the truth by their very actions. Look at verse 14. For when I saw that they were not straightforward, with the gospel, about the truth of the gospel. <clears throat> I, said to the Cephas, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, Paul got rad. He was electric. He was on fire. Did not, uh, not straightforward means they did not walk straight or proceed directly in regards to the truth of the gospel. It wasn't overtly but they did deny the gospel, the vital truth of the gospel, that you're justified by grace alone through faith alone. And so since he did it publicly, Paul publicly confronted him. He could not let this go because the truth of the gospel was at stake. A public scandal calls for a public rebuke. And it wasn't for his own benefit. It wasn't because Paul's feelings were hurt. <laughs> the gospel was at stake. He confronted him because of the gospel of Jesus, this was his main concern. In the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how do you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Peter acted contrary to his proclaimed convictions. He betrayed Christian freedom and slandered the brethren, which is our tendency. We judge ourselves and then others outside the gospel. Prior to this whole hypocrisy thing, Peter lived like the Gentile, apart from Jewish regulations. If he was doing this before, but not now, how could he now require Gentile Christians to keep the very law from which he knew he was free from that? He knew that. This was inconceivable. If a Christian Jew learned that these legal requirements did not bring him into the kingdom or sustain you in the kingdom, but then imposes upon Gentiles, it's, it's inexcusable. Are you crazy? So the two reasons why this news is so vital, one, the death of Jesus, it, it dethrones this self-enthronement. It kills it, this self-enthronement. But second, we are prone to doing what Peter did. It's so easy to add to the gospel. 
our merits or good works do not sustain our faith. Your good works do not sustain your faith. They do not add to your faith. They don't give an extra little sugar coating to your faith. It is always by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's vital. One writer says this, listen, quote, There is a Pharisee in the hearts of all sinners, tempting them to look within, to themselves, to their own righteousness, rather than to the provision of Christ, end quote. It's our tendency in ourselves. We judge ourselves. This whole concept that's given in psychology, you must learn to forgive yourself. That is, that is a ridiculous concept, people. You understand that, right? You don't forgive yourself. You trust in the forgiveness that you get from God because He forgives you. You don't judge yourself based upon your own standards. You judge it based upon what God says in His Word. It's not about forgiving yourself. And then others, uh, you need to abide by my standards or else I'm going to totally write you off. We have that tendency too, don't we? And then we add to the gospel. It's so vital for us to maintain the purity of this gospel, of gospel freedom. Why? Because death with Jesus it ends that self-enthronement and that's our tendency. We are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So live in this gospel freedom. It's all by God's grace. If you're here, you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. You've heard this message and you're hearing this about grace. You can come. You can find freedom. God will save you based upon Jesus, not your good works. <laughs> you're not a good person. There are no good people. They're just bad people who do some good things sometimes. God should judge us and yet Jesus died and rose. Repent. Turn away from sin. Put your trust in Jesus. He'll save you. That's the heart of the gospel. So let's thank him for this. He's been so gracious to us. Pray with me, please. And Father, we are so thankful that you've been gracious to us. That's what it's called. It's called grace. Unmerited favor, undeserved favor. Help us to live in the freedom of this grace. And now we, it's not us who live, it's Christ lives in me. Your death has ended self-enthronement. This news is so vital because our tendency to judge ourselves by another standard, to judge others, to add to the gospel, to become legalists, to become antinomians. Help us to remain true to this truth. We can be made right with you. It's by your grace, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. It's all by your grace. Take a few moments, if you would, and 
relish in this truth of the gospel. <clears throat> that it would encourage you. You would see your sin and you would see it for what it is and yet be so thankful that God shows you grace. He shows you grace. That's why it's called grace. Grace is found only in Jesus and his death. May it drive you to live in this gospel freedom that Christ will dwell in you who loved you and gave himself up for you. Reiterate, repeat these words to yourself. A few moments, be silenced, and then I'll play, pick a little bit of my guitar and just take that time to pray and think, ponder, meditate upon the truth of the gospel. Do that now, please.